previously on Midnight Videos Soundtrack Special. Hello and good evening. And welcome. To this. The second part of our hopefully amazing uh, Midnight Videos Soundtrack Special, which... Uh, it could be make or break, I think. It could be make or break, <laughs> this could be it. Um, no, uh, we were... I seriously thought this was going to be a 40 minutes worth... I was worried that it wouldn't fill up a whole hour, but um, as we've been recording this, we've uh, we've spiralled out of control. We've gone over three hours. <laughs> and we're already aware we're going to have to cut in actual music samples and things. So, <laughs> um, just out of convenience, because I know it can be tough listening to three hours or whatever this is going to be, we're going to split this into two parts. So, welcome back. Thank you, thank you loyal listeners. Um, here's going to be... The second amazing kind of um, season finale story arc fulfilling part of Midnight Video soundtrack special. Oh my god, that's special. Game changing cliffhangers, ahoy. <laughs> you ever listen to K Billy's Super Sounds of the 70s? I'm going to go with George B. Lewis, or whatever Ooh. his real name is. Um, oh! It's Aldolado. Aldolado. <laughs> I am going for the humanoid. Although obviously it's not so much to do with the director, it's to do with the composer Ennio Morricone. You know, can't really have a soundtrack show without Ennio. It's almost like he's going to come through the doors now. With uh, I was so tempted to like <laughs> put something down, but yeah, I, I, I missed your, him out. Your pet cat. I missed him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm going to use the humanoid, and not at all ironically, the humanoid we did cover very early on um, it's, it's a cheap well whether it's a Star Wars rip off we, we cover in the review but it's yeah it's, it's no one's idea of um, genius however Ennio Morricone such a great soundtrack composer and the humanoid um, well just to recap the review there it was a movie I watched with my friends when I was very young, sort of a snotty teenager, and was very mean about. And um, something we were particularly keen to poke fun at was how naff, I suppose, the soundtrack was. Listening to it again recently, when we uh, covered it for the um, for the podcast, and I didn't say this on the show at the time, was how good the music was. It sounded naff when I was a kid, but listening to it now, I think it's brilliantly done. And it's one of those things, I'm not sure what the musical term is. <laughs> uh, it's not onomatopoeia, but it almost kind of reflects what's happening in the movie, because it's this very sparse arrangement that builds slowly, uh, as a little electronics, and builds slowly and slowly, and after a few minutes, it's got this big orchestral thing, and there's kettle drums in there. And it's almost like um, Richard Keel's character in this movie. Um, just in case you've forgotten the plot, Richard Keel gets sort of zapped with um, a missile, <laughs> which makes him invulnerable but mindless. But gradually he gets his um, his true, not his mind back, but his true spirit. And it's the music, like I say, onomatopoeic. It almost, it sort of reflects him stumbling. It's kind of like watching, um, have you ever seen those footage of when a, a giraffe's just been born? And yeah. the, the parents are kind of training it to walk within <laughs> minutes. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I've seen that with a calf. calf, and stuff. A calf yeah, it's was that born, thing of yeah. this quite lumbering animal sort of getting on its feet and learning its. It's majestic. Get, yeah, you know, it's real. And I nature. think I think it's <laughs> it's fantastic. And while we were searching around, this was after we recorded the review of the humanoid. But um, there's a there is like a complete Morricone soundtrack, which is very rare. It was reissued recently, but sold out very quickly. I think quickly. I told you about. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah, you yeah. did. Um, 
But yeah, um, once again, uh, chunks of that are on YouTube if you want to check it out. But there's one which I should have been more professional and written down the name of, but it's one I remember forwarding to you, which they use like the beginning 30 seconds of it in the movie, if that. But it's a track that goes on for several minutes and has this almost Vivaldi kind of violin, which is genuinely beautiful. I'm not being sarcastic or ironic about it. It's it's really moving, and it really it's one of those great things when it suggests there's um, we've talked um, a little already about uh, composers who were given a script or just an outline of a film and had to compose from that mm. rather than scoring to images, and this this is kind of like that. It suggests that Morricone saw a much much better film than what we got, which is it very entertaining but very cheap and cheerful. Yeah, yeah. Sort of sci-fi adventure. Oh, I agree a hundred percent. I. I I absolutely love that score. I think it's fantastic. Um, yeah, th- because we used a bit of the we used a bit, didn't we, for the opening? That it's the beginning of this seven-minute piece that does build and build, build and, and build. it's. It, I but think it sounds so can, naive at the beginning. Yeah, doesn't it? it's just so easily overlooked. Yeah. I think people would just like brush that away and think, oh, you know. But it's. I can imagine him slaving away over it to some degree. You think, um, how do I convey the story? Yeah. <laughs> well, the whole time we've been doing the podcasts, I mean, I thought the soundtrack he did for Orca was was better than oh, the film deserved. I'm <laughs> not. I'm not as keen on Orca. But um, oh, one more thing about Morricone. I'm mean, sure we know this, but yeah, the thing he's most famous for is the Sergio Leone um, Clint Eastwood spaghetti westerns. I remember seeing a documentary on Leone. Uh, in about 1989 I think um, and I remember the uh, Morricone's mentioned and I think <laughs> I'm, this is possibly apocryphal but I'd love to think it was true Leone would sit down with the rushes, show them to Morricone and say this is what you got to score to and Morricone would squeal with laughter <laughs> while watching it and obviously all that's conveyed in the soundtrack but it wasn't <laughs> something that Leone was intending originally but that's I'm so tied in with <laughs> especially was it? it's one of the first two Dollars movies when Eastwood's cigar he kind of revolves it round his mouth yeah. but there's this little flourish on a piccolo or something <laughs> but it's great and even as good as bad, the Good, the Bad and the Ugly it's so much of that so synonymous and tied in with that soundtrack but actually when you've that does make sense in a way. There is something very comical. There's something uh, playful, like fancy with it, fancy free. Well, even that main theme everyone knows from Good the Bad. They know the. Um, they know the dun, 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 and all that, yeah. but it is the screeching of these yeah. people. It's not like a choral thing. Is it? It's like these, <laughs> yeah, it's no uh, ligeti. <laughs> yeah, it's like some sort of insolent kids taking the piss, isn't it? But it works so brilliantly. I'll go with um, a David Lynch film, which is the soundtrack's overseen by Trent Reznor. It's Lost Highway, which is probably my joint favourite Lynch movie. Uh, thinking in my head now, it's definitely one of my favourites. Anyway, um, just you for split the, into two people. Yeah, I mean, like, overnight uh, in a prison cell. 
actually, come to think of it, my two favourite Lynch films are actually Wild at Heart and Lost Highway, and they're both uh, Barry Gifford is involved with that as well. So yeah, there's something there, but the music in this is it's sort of the next step on from where Wild at Heart left off because they were using um, that jukebox sort of approach. I just remember seeing this, like the opening to this is uh, car headlamps with a camera just over the top with the the yellow meridian mm. strip just flashing uh, with uh, I'm Deranged by Bowie and Brian Eno and that just it, it was like one of the best hooks I've ever heard for a film uh, or it just pulled me in completely and yeah what a fucking film as well it's, it's a funny kind of lynch because it's in between Wild at Heart and um, Mulholland Drive would have been yeah, the yeah it's, it's that sort of a pivotal moment for Lynch where he sort of he went all the way after that I think I think this was the time when he went well you know I'm I'm just going to do exactly what I've always wanted to do yeah uh, do you think I, I was going to say well no I was going to say it was after Walter Hart it was also after Twin Peaks and On the Air okay um, um, yeah for me it, it was that sort of yeah it, it retains a lot of Lynch but it has a lot of Barry Gifford in there as well which I, I really love I love his books but music wise that that deranged track is beautiful and he also got to use Song to the Siren by This Mortal Coil which he wanted originally to do for Blue Velvet but they couldn't afford it um, it's <laughs> like the love making scene outside the shack towards right. the end I was going to say good old Dino De Laurentiis <laughs> the, the budget you know <laughs> The deal with June to make Blue Velvet. Yes. <laughs> you, you can't have that. And in between, you know, you've got like Smashing Pumpkins, you've got um, Marilyn Manson singing I'll Put a Spell on You, which is quite impressive. Um, and also you've got Angela Badlamenti doing his, well, his his touch, you know, of adding that, um, that magic. That quite cool... 60s kind of thing yeah he's got yeah, which is very Twin Peaks but in this the particular track that I like by him is I think it's called Red Bats with Teeth which is just before Pullman goes mental like completely mental and he's playing the saxophone and it, it's building up this track and it goes more and more mad until it's like pure Albert Ayler like <laughs> freeform jazz like is, I yeah, wish they called great. it Pullman Goes Mental. <laughs> Red bats with teeth, indeed. But yeah, I mean, Lost Highways. Uh, I, I was thinking of loads of other. I, I love. I mean, Lynch is the most audiovisual director that I know of. Some something I'd throw in there is. Um, I remember when David Lynch was the hippest man on planet Earth, which was summer nineteen ninety, when Wild at Heart was coming out, and. Um, Twin Peaks had already been a big hit in America and it was coming over with a blaze of publicity to, to, to the First UK. Series. Um, there was an interview I think with is it Julie Cruz who did a lot of those vocals? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's very um, kind of John Lennon ish, wasn't it? They put that echo on it. Yeah. Distance And she seemed very much part of the David Lynch world. But that interview with her she was just you know, David Lynch, um, she was very thorough <laughs> saying David Lynch, he, he produced my album. He has no idea how to communicate with musicians at all. She was used to working with someone saying, you know, I mean, I haven't got the terms, but, you know, someone who could actually say, I need you to do this kind of time signature and whatever. And Lynch would apparently just go over to these people and say, 
uh, horn players and go, I, I need you to blow me big chunks of plastic. <laughs> <laughs> Can you play me some pink bubbles? <laughs> and yeah, I think she was very world weary at this. <laughs> um, such is David secrets travel on. I start to believe if I were to bleed In sky the man chains his hands built high Cruise me young Cruise me babe A blonde beneath beyond, beyond, beyond From me, I'm going to head into the world of David Cronenberg, who is... Is he still synonymous with Howard Shaw? I'm not sure if he is, because... Uh, he is for me, but... Yeah, yeah that's certainly where I knew Howard Shaw <laughs> from. Now everyone knows Howard Shaw for Lord of the Rings, uh, which he... I'm, not, I'm, I'm certainly not going to say he did a bad job with Lord of the Rings, but I can't remember a note of that music. No, I'm, I'm trying to recall it now. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he does a really good job of it, but... I was going to have a bit of a pop at Howard Shaw by saying that the earlier David Cronenberg uh, movies, all the stuff probably up to just before Videodrome, that's quite a distinct soundtrack, but mm. um, was kind of, yeah, it's what you get from a horror movie. Obviously, you know, you, you get better, hopefully, as you're going along, as we do show 18 <laughs> <laughs> now. Yeah, but yeah. the two I really wanted to um, mention, Dead Ringers, which possibly isn't one of his better known movies now or maybe it is oh, I would have thought so but I really, I always really love the soundtrack to that, I think it's a great movie and the soundtrack to that is so warm it's got a real humanity to it And you know the movie don't you yeah, yeah, um, yeah. it was largely based, I mean Cronenberg's admitted this as um, it was partly based on a real incident um, mm. uh, twin doctors, I don't know if they were gynecologists but twin doctors found dead in an apartment but he also loved Greenaway's Z and Two Noughts, which you mentioned earlier, and um, talked with Greenaway about it. Was going to do the, his own version. The huge it never occurred to me that those two films had anything in common, and I think a lot of it is, as much as I I, I really do like the Nyman score for Z and Two Noughts, but the Howard Shaw score for Dead Ringers is so different, and it really adds yeah a warmth and humanity to it because. That film should be very clinical. Jeremy Irons is fantastic in it, playing um, Beverly, Beverly and, and Elliot. Elliot. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, that music really conveys stuff that doesn't come across in their performances. Mm. I think it's a really fantastic score. Um, the other Howard Shaw Cronenberg I wanted to mention was Crash. Um, it's an okay film. It's not so bad, you know. It's I'm still sh I'm still never sat through the whole thing. Really? Yeah, like four or five. It's like Suspiria for me. It's oh wow! I just can't. We've lost a few more viewers. So I, can't I, get, I just there, can't yeah. get through it. Like. Um, I saw that at the cinema when it came out. Watching it on the big screen, um, the the Crash soundtrack. Uh, it's a great example of when you think you know what a composer is going to do, um, and they do something totally different. I, Howard Shaw does such a good job there it's a very sparse kind of um, uh, theme he comes up with for it, it's mainly just a guitar with a little echo on it, it sounds like it's been recorded in a huge echo chamber and um, 
again, weirdly, going back to the humanoid, it's not onomatopoeic, but it does suggest the theme of the film. And you can really smell almost the aerosol paint job on the cars. <laughs> you are thinking metallic when you hear that music. It's so... Ooh, great evocative, stuff. Yeah. Evocative, yeah, yeah. Brilliant stuff. Yeah, I've never been a massive fan of like Shaw's scores for... Shaw's scores. Shaw's scores. Shaw's well, scores yeah, for stuff, Cronenberg, really. Yeah, I've, the, the I've stuff like Scanners be, just sounds quite schlocky. Yeah, yeah. I, thought, I always thought it could be so much better served. just get this in before we um, read some more listener uh, contributions Animal Factory uh, Steve Buscemi's film with Edward Furlong and Willem Dafoe set in a prison amazingly absolutely amazingly soundtracked or scored by John Lurie of the Lounge Lizards and uh, an actor who was in a lot of Jim Jarmusch films, brilliant saxophonist basically this is just like a lot of hip hop beats slow sludgy to use Jim's word, onomatopoeic. <laughs> Very much. We're acknowledging it's the wrong word, but yeah, <laughs> representing the the weariness of like prison life, the the monotony of it. But the then buggery. The, there's well, perhaps, <laughs> but there's these flourishes of uh, saxophone solos, which just add this sort of element that um, the the unknowing the what's going to change in the story what's going to happen like with Willem Dafoe's character with Edward Furlong's character it's just brilliant it's never been released I don't think it ever will do but yeah just one of those that you'd love to have but you know you never will and talking of Edward Furlong I mean he's famous for Terminator 2 uh, and what did they do to indicate he was a bit of a badass he had a public enemy t-shirt absolutely Okay, going to take a little break from our own countdown now because we've had some really good listener feedback. Uh, thanks to everybody who's contributed. Uh, we're going to kick off now with Count Fosco. Hello, Lee. Um, Goblin scores for Argento, Suspiria, and Deep Red are among the finest ever. Also, name check for Joe Hisichi's Studio Ghibli work. Vangelis for Blade Runner. It's one we've missed. Um, we knew someone was going to uh, mention yeah, it, but that's exactly. such a good soundtrack. <laughs> Uh, Fabio Fritz's score for Lucio Fulci. Matt John loves you. <laughs> uh, John Carpenter's own score for Halloween and Maestro Ennio Morricone's score for The Thing. Also loved recent Once. Yeah, I know about Ron's. What? Ron's? Ron's. Mark Ronson. <laughs> uh, Once uh, was. He's one of the guys in The Commitments. 
He's in the. It's an independent film in Ireland about a, a busker. Oh right, that was with a few the big years issue back, seller. Yeah, 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 and it's like it's become quite famous for the soundtrack. Mm. But yeah, he was one of the characters. He was the ginger guy in the commitments. I've not seen it yet, but I've I've not heard anything but good things. So yeah. we'll see. And from Real Distraction, the soundtrack for Jess Franco's Vampiros Lesbos, 1971, by Manfred Hubler and Siggy Schwab, is by far my favourite original soundtrack. Okay, Callum McCall, Johnny Greenwood's score for There Will Be Blood is a great weird soundtrack, but Morricone, uh, Once Upon a Time in America, is my all-time favourite. So you've already mentioned Anderson's um, Punch Drunk Love. I remember when we saw Kim Newman, who God knows gets enough mentions on this show, but he was saying part of the thing about There Will Be Blood being one of his kind of recent nightmare movies was the soundtrack was like a horror movie. Mm, mm. Did you think that with the Greenwood no. thing? I, I honestly, hand on heart, I, I don't mind Radiohead's later stuff. I think they're all talented musicians and that. I don't remember the soundtrack to There Will Be Blood It's at Plinky all. Plonky. I don't but remember it. I just thought it, there was a lot of sound design. I didn't really think mm. there was much music going on. Um, there's a bit when the well explodes. Yeah. I think that it's, there's a lot of build-up there, which is quite obvious, but I don't know. It's something I need to revisit. Once Upon a Time in America, though. Yeah, it's pff, brilliant. A little Arricone? Uh, a little Arricone. And from Adlow 76, Adam Lowe's someone who kept me going through the alphabet challenge <laughs> I have a real soft spot for the soundtrack for To Live and Die in LA a quintessentially 80s vibe throughout and the tracks work incredibly with the sequences in the film especially the money creation montage yeah I'm with you all the way Wang Chung everybody have fun tonight yeah everybody have Wang Chung tonight no I know there's another listener who'd be uh, echoing that sentiment Old yeah. London yeah yeah but yeah the William Friedkin Great use of soundtrack there. I, I, wa- I rewatched that film the other day with uh, the uh, the commentary. I was going to say it's, the wife. It's, no, no, she's still in France. But <laughs> okay, uh, carrying on. Liverpool film nerd, I assume. Um, Donny Darko. Close your eyes and listen to Waltz in the Fourth Dimension. Yeah, there's a lot of eighties stuff in there, isn't it? There's Echo and the Bunnymen. Well, it's one of uh, those things. The, the, uh, the version I saw, I think, starts with Echo and the Bunnymen, Killing Moon. Didn't they redo uh, it and change the opening to? Was it in excess, maybe? Or maybe m- remembering it wrong. But there's one that opened and it was the right it's song. Killing Moon. And it's Killing and Moon is the one I've seen. I think they redid it and well. Yeah, don't I, know. I, I, don't know I, I like the music, but Donny Darko. I, actually, last night we were on Twitter with certain people talking about this, and <laughs> Southland Tales is the best <laughs> Richard Kelly film. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I've got that to look forward to. <laughs> And from Dude Foz, Mark Foster up in York, Empire Records, Pump Up the Volume and Almost Famous. Actually, any Cameron Crowe films, really. No, a fan of uh, compilation soundtracks there. Mm. Pump Up the Volume, I like that. I've not seen that for a long time. Um, I think there might be a bit of Stan Ridgway in there. Yeah, slip in a bit of Ridgway. Might be a bit of Stan before the end of the show, you never know. <laughs> okay, Max Wren, hello, 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 hello. <laughs> I loved the soundtrack for Electroglide in Blue. Had it on vinyl in a lovely gatefold sleeve. Uh, Electroglide in Blue, your favourite cop on a bike movie? My only cop on a bike movie. Yeah, yeah. I really like the film. It's great. Um, the, the soundtrack's one soundtrack's of the things I really remember. It's got that yeah. opening with the open highway. It's a little bit like the poster for Close Encounters. It's this really electronic noise. Yeah. It's, 
is it a Winnebago or something zips down or the guy's bike the, like the mobile sorry, homes yeah. mobile home that's what I was thinking mobile homes yeah no good choice Ross Giles obvious choice but I love the deep red soundtrack turn me on to Goblin and a perfect soundtrack to a perfect film Goblin have got a lot of uh, love going on yeah they have we've got to get a bit more Goblin going on <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I'm not gobbling in front of you. No, okie dokie. Metal Rich, Dazed and Confused. Even if it doesn't contain the song Dazed and Confused. Also, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. I'm, yeah, Hair Metal. I'm getting a sense of your uh, album collection here. <laughs> Hair Metal, Winger and Slaughter. Great 90s bands, Faith No More and Megadeth and Steve Vai. Hey, my God, he, yeah, he, I'm back in Redditch in 1989. That my <laughs> friend says all of the, um, yeah. Uh. Uh, Mark 72, Carol. My pick would be the unreleased incidental soundtrack to Dawn of the Dead. Long live the gonk! Wow, I mean, like, just get out there and be a little bit obscure. Why don't you? The gonk. That <laughs> the was gonk Johnny Alpha's the, little friend from Strontium Dogs. Yeah, 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 yeah. The the is sort of wide my, with my the big is, My heart is. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah, no, Dawn of the Dead, a very popular movie with um, with a lot of people. The Scottish Review of Books, I'm suspecting. Uh, Colin Waters specifically there. Hi, Colin. Uh, Midnight Cowboy. Oh, brilliant. Uh, yeah, no more um, that. Did a brilliant cover on uh, Angel Dust. Well, I was going to say, that's mostly John Barry, isn't it? His, um, he's, he's not featuring on the Originally. list tonight. Bit of Harry We Norson. did Boom the other week. We did Boom, such a fantastic soundtrack. Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, uh, I know that was the Carrie Nations, wasn't it? They were an invented band for this, uh, oh, yes. for the film, but it, it's, it's very well regarded. It's yeah. Beyond the Monkeys, yeah, they sort of became an actual... Uh, actually, that's, that's quite, yeah. I saw that not too long ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's alright. I, I don't actually think the film's that's good, but the music's, the mm. music's not so bad, yeah. And Beat at, you know, I might have to pronounce this for me, Beat at Sinacita. Sinacita, I would have thought. And beat at Cinecita, a compilation as Fab Tunes. I think it's like Italian. Yeah, 60s no, um, stuff. Colin did, because this is a tweet from uh, Colin, he did send me a full email with a lot of um, YouTube links. But yeah, that sounded, uh, that was some quite special stuff there. Good. Thanks very much. And our old friend, Rich Sampson, I really want to contribute to the soundtrack show, but it's my movie weakness. I don't think I've ever noticed one. They, uh, this is like I should say this is part of a Twitter conversation and I said what the hell are you quoting that out of context <laughs> don't you know about like, Jaws Indiana Jones blah 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 and then he went oh wait Beverly Hills Cop he's done it phonetically do deal do doop doop and rounding things off in style we've got uh, the salt man oh nice t-shirt <laughs> thank you uh the Fantastic Planet original soundtrack should be on any self-respecting original soundtracks midnight video list. Big in hip hop circles. I didn't even know that. Have you sat through Fantastic Planet? Yeah. 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 yeah a few it's, times. it's quite a creepy kind of animation. It's one of these things Roger Corman got hold of and mm. chopped about. But um, I've got to say, I don't remember a great deal about the soundtrack. Okay, thank, thanks very much to everybody who's uh, contributed there. So, uh, yeah, time for us to carry on with our own. Sterling work, let's Sterling work, yes. Not hip hop, it's electro trick. Okay, uh, my next soundtrack is Birdie by Peter Gabriel. Um, it is a soundtrack I really love. Um, a particular reason I've chosen this is it's, um, it's an example of a soundtrack where I knew the soundtrack itself 
quite a long time before I ever got round to seeing the film. Uh, and when I did see the film, I suppose it ties into something we've covered a few times. It's uh, have you seen Birdie? No, you know, it's, a, no. it's a sort of Vietnam vet. Yeah, uh, yeah. I know of it. Yeah, um, having trouble readjusting, which is a you know, kind combat of films shock. with combat shock ninth configuration. <laughs> Nowhere near as good as those films, though. Um, it's directed by Alan Parker. Yeah, it's it's an okay movie. Uh, it's just not that great, but it's 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 for me, it's a really good example of listening to that soundtrack and in your mind having an image of what the film was going to be like just based on the music and the um, the cover of the album which I think was the same as the poster for the film which is uh, Matthew Modine's character kind of perched on at the end of an iron bedstead in this cell where he's being kept like a bird like a bird and he's naked um, it features of all people Nicolas Cage woo <laughs> no my legs bring on the cage but no, I, I really love the soundtrack. I mean, certainly when I first bought it when I was about 15, I was a big fan of Peter Gabriel. Um, it was Gabriel's first soundtrack, and it was done before, immediately before he did So with Sledgehammer and all these big hit singles. In fact, interviews have suggested that So, which was a much more commercial album than he'd done previously, was a direct response to doing this, which was quite a... He said was quite a claustrophobic and mysterious kind of thing. He wanted to do something that was because totally I love opposite. three. So would that be with a melting before? face? Yeah, yeah. Um, little early. That was nineteen eighty. That oh, was okay. the one with Games Without Frontiers on yes, it. Yes, yes. That's although Beaker. Yeah, although um, this soundtrack um, again from interviews, I think Gabriel was keen to do a completely original score because it was the first time he'd ever done soundtracks. And Alan Parker was saying, no, 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 no. I've heard your albums love your music, I want you to take this piece and this piece and this piece and rework them and so yeah, um, a lot of the stuff from his third and fourth albums um, get reused here but they're yeah, you can tell where they're from but he has reworked them and done something very different with them. The third album uh, the one you like, I don't know if you know the track on it, Not One of Us really yes, sort yes, of chaotic, yes, yes. you know mm -hmm. That's reworked, but with a Japanese drum troupe, so it's oh, really, really you know, like Kodos. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's really. really sort of taking it to a. It's a very cliche thing, taking it to another level. It's it's something that gets used a lot in a different, you know, in different documentaries. Yeah, yeah. Um, one more thing I wanted to say about this soundtrack. Gabriel's done a few soundtracks since, and this, I mean, he's kind of known and possibly um, mocked somewhat for being a bit of a pioneer of world music. Um, this. I really like this soundtrack. It really stands up on its own as something you just listen to in isolation. Um, it doesn't sound like it's from anywhere geographically specific. It does sound like it's from all over the place. Whereas his later ones, Last Temptation of Christ uh, for Scorsese, which was released as Passion as a soundtrack, and Rabbit Proof Friends for oh, Long the Walk Australian Home. film. Yeah. They're not bad, but they they do sound like this kind of mishmash of world music. It's almost slightly patronising. Whereas this sounds like something that he's really worked out is sort of taking elements of world music and doing something else entirely with it. Um, a really fantastic soundtrack. Love it.
for me, Tell No One uh, by Guillaume Canet. Uh, the soundtrack was done by M. M is a big pop rock star in France. Uh, he's never really... Not to be confused with Pop Muzak. No. <laughs> pop Muzak. Yeah, great song. Pop Muzak. Um, yeah, he's never really reached these shores or elsewhere like a lot of French music you know there's something really impressive with the way that the French retain their uh, musical culture keep it going strong um, and this is kind of an unusual album I, I absolutely love this film it's one of the best thrillers I've seen in the last 10 years or so it, it sort of shows up Hollywood for what Hollywood used to do Um He's channeling Neil Young in Dead Man, I feel, with this. There's a lot of sort of guitar washes, again, that abstract sound. Quite melancholy. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. There, There is the actual, like, theme tune. like. Um, but throughout the film, there's Otis Redding's Precious Love, which, you know, Otis Redding, what a fucking voice anyway. That's great. That really sets the tone for this relationship between the protagonist and the wife that he's looking for I'm not going to go into the plot of the film um, and the Jeff Buckley's Lilac Wine or his version of Lilac Wine uh, which is magnificent and you two uh, provide With or Without You as a as an actual like element of the plot have you seen it? Have you, no I've not it, it's so brilliantly used um, because you hear it coming in and you two have sort of like the name's mud at the moment isn't it like for the last number of years because you know they've had this like whole rigmarole with not paying the taxes mm-hmm. and whatnot and well, yeah preaching else to yeah cancel their debt. but there was a time when you two were well i'd say one of the best bands in the world uh commercially and you just hear with or without you coming in it's like oh my god what are they doing and then it becomes a really important plot point and it's like fair play to uh guillaume kind of for doing that but i I really appreciate M's uh, original score for it. It's, it's a bit different. Next, diminutive Paul Williams, tiny, tiny Paul Williams. Okay, um, he provided the soundtracks for, well, several films. Two I want to highlight here, The Muppet Movie and Phantom of the Paradise, the Brian De Palma movie. Not seen. Um, If you'd recognise, I think you would recognise him. He turns up in Smokey and the Bandit. He's a little fellow with a long blonde hair and glasses. Um... And he's also in Battle for the Planet of the Apes, but under quite a lot of makeup. But he's, okay. he's a really good songwriter. He's very much in the tradition of um, Harry Nilsson. John and the, Denver. He looks a bit like John Denver. Mm. Um, and the Beatles as well. 
Um, he looks like all of the Beatles. All at once, yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> that's, his, that's his Batman villain power. Yeah. Um, have you seen the Muppet movie? Probably. Um, wow. I'd be amazed if I haven't, but it's wow. not something I thought it I might be with. bringing back some memories no, for you. No, no. I mean, the, the I, mean song... I watch the Muppets a lot. <laughs> yeah. The song I really wanted to talk about here is at the very beginning of the Muppet movie. Um, there's, there's kind of a weird opening with the Muppets in a cinema auditorium waiting for the film to start but then when the film starts it's this rainbow and it goes down into a swamp and there's Kermit sitting on a log with a banjo just picking out this little melody he does this beautiful song called The Rainbow Connection which um, has been covered quite a few times by people like the Carpenters and uh, Paul Williams himself and it's quite mawkish when they do it Somehow when Kermit does it, although this might be sort of inextricably bound up with my childhood, but it's a real tearjerker. Oh, right. Because he's got that voice, you know, and he's singing these wonderful lyrics about reaching for some impossible happiness. And uh, it's it's a beautiful song. Um, I really love that. Um, Wow, man. No, it, there, there was certainly a point in my life whenever I got drunk and you know couldn't really see the way forwards. <laughs> that was when I was singing. I was always uh, <laughs> stu- stum- stumbling around the streets of London. You know? <laughs> be that, that all coming round again by Carly Simon, probably. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's other great soundtrack, uh, Phantom of the Paradise. Um, have you ever seen that, the Brian no. Palmer movie? No. Um, I've not seen it for a long time, but I remember it. I remember how much I hate still hate uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show and this seems to come out of the same kind of time it's Phantom of the Opera but done as this sort of glam rock uh, musical but his songs for that are really fantastic again very good um, as opposed to like a cinematic score which is mostly what we've talked about before or compilations of existing pop songs used to illustrate scenes uh, this is kind of well it's a musical I guess but yeah it's, it's um, a songwriter who's come up with just a, a really great sequence of songs which work really great with the movie you know it seems to be what we're falling back on saying about everything they work perfectly with the movie <laughs> yeah. but you know what I'm saying it's weird though. yeah it's kind of a yeah a very unusual type of musical but really good songs in their own right you know really love them why are there so many songs about rainbows and what's on the other side Rainbows are visions, but only illusions, and rainbows have nothing to hide. So we've been told, and some choose to believe it. I know they're wrong, wait and see. Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection. The lovers, the dreamers, and me. I'll, I'll throw in a little bit of Rumblefish, Stuart Copeland, Francis Ford Coppola. I'm annoyed you picked that because I wanted that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, I own the vinyl album of Rumblefish. Um, nice. It's fantastic. It's a very percussive kind of soundtrack, isn't it? Rumblefish is a funny film because it's the most over-stylized, emotionally cold film I've ever seen. Yeah, I absolutely love it. I think it's great. It's like um, it's like modern art or something. You know, there's something that's totally missing, but you can connect with it in some way. There's there's something that's tangible about it, yeah. and the emotion that's lacking in that film is 
provided, provided by yeah. Stuart Copeland. It's, it is an incredible soundtrack. Yeah. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember it having a certain amount of James Dean to it. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, that yeah. kind of angsty teenager, the world doesn't understand Outsiders. me kind of thing. Well, yeah, they're both. They're both S.E. Hinton books, yes, I think. Because they were yeah. um, filmed pretty much back to back by yeah, Coppola. Yeah. Um, I know Mickey Rourke's haircut was people. based on <laughs> Albert Camus' haircut, his motorcycle. That, tells, that tells you what the film's like. <laughs> but yeah, w- when you were saying it was um, kind of very arty kind of pieces, it does start with a lot of clouds, uh, that, that kind the of quite cliched shot now of clouds speeding across the sky with this, what would usually have Philip Glass music, but mm. it's. Um, well, no, it really brings to the fore what a great percussionist Stuart Copeland is, because it's not just drums; it's all sorts of little. But there's the, there's a whole range of like musical styles coming in. There's there's sort of like reggae and dub and like yeah. the police sort of influence, yeah, yeah. the new wave, but also this like old fashioned um, ragtime sort of sounding stuff. And then he went out as well, and he was collecting samples from. Is it Tucson? All over filmed. the bloody show. Yeah, yeah, it's a down south kind of place. Yeah. Um, but I know he did an album around the time called The Rhythmatist, where he mm. went around Africa and South America and places. But that movie for me is filled with music. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's well, the narrative. Say, it's probably the it? thing that strikes <laughs> you about it. Because, yeah, it's not a terribly engaging movie. Um, but that music really gives it its own sense. So it's got, you've got Dennis Hopper in it as well, uh, Matt Dillon. Um, Matt Dillon. <laughs> because like Matt Damon gets all the shit, but I think Matt Dillon's way Mumbling worse. Matt Dillon, yeah. Um, <laughs> Nicholas Cage. Oh God, yes. Okay. I think that might be one of his first. He's it all was, over the bloody shots. Cage, isn't he? It's like a story the arc. He's a story arc going through. <laughs> we're get, if we're gonna ever, ever gonna have a special on this show about yeah. a film or a, an actor, it's got to be Cage now. Who knows? Who knows <laughs> what could be in the art thing? Um, just on the subject of that soundtrack. Um, do you know the song "Don't Fence"? Is it "Don't Fence Don't Me, in, me it? in"? Don't box me in, which is Stan Ridgeway on vocals, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I love that. It's so brilliant. It's really wonky because he does the harmonica on it, which is all over the shop. It's yeah, but it's one of those things modulated sound, or something. Um, I don't know about that. But it's one of those things when it's it's like Bjork's vocals or something. Yeah. It shouldldn't work, but somehow it's exa- it sounds like it's all over the place, but it hits exactly the right wrong note to make it all work. No. choice inevitably my own David Lynch choice uh, Eraserhead um, which yeah it will be Eraserhead yeah um, I mean you said earlier your two favourite Lynch's were what was it Wild at Heart and Lost Highway yeah this this the cusp this and Blue Velvet for me um, Eraserhead actually no Dune was the first Lynch I ever saw but this um, Eraserhead I had a real obsession with when I first saw it, I was about 18 and I remember videotaping it off TV and watching it over and over and it's another example of a film where you weren't that caught up in the plot but it kind of worked like a pop video or a collection of pop video promos because you could just go along with it and the atmosphere was there, it wasn't like you had to follow the character's um, progression or anything. Such a great soundtrack um, 
again working with the film because everything in it sounds very distant it's got this kind of Fats Waller organ music which is going on in the background yeah. uh, a few songs which Lynch was involved with which have become better known since I know the Pixies covered um, yeah. In Heaven yeah, yeah, which is the, the Lady, lady the Behind the Radiator song, song. Um, but yeah it is how crackly and distant it sounds and it kind of sounds like it's a kind of a pretentious thing to say they're kind of like sonic ghosts that are always going on and they really add to the atmosphere to the point that I know Razorhead celebrated for Splett's, um, Alan Splett's sound design but they merge the, the soundtrack, the music from it and the sound design merge really perfectly. They're symbiotic aren't yeah. they really they're, they're, yeah. they're one has to work with the other yeah, yeah they just and, um, I mean something I wrote down here which I was quite surprised about I, I just put you know this is what the Shining soundtrack should have been like having that sound like ghosts in the background from the music and then when I was looking it up it turns out that Kubrick actually was a big fan of Eraserhead and showed it to the cast of the Shining before they started shooting in order to c convey the kind of desired atmosphere <laughs> that he wanted for it so uh that's interesting yeah kind of odd but you know um, well we've had enough Kubrick <laughs> so yes well done a razor head one the next one Midnight Express Georgia Moroder Oliver Stone uh, Matt Nieder referenced this in his email uh, yeah for me it's all about the chase it's just absolutely iconic for me uh, I used to when I used to DJ out a lot I, I play that all the time it's, it's something just the way that when it emerges yeah that's the kind of thing that I suppose that's when you went around and started beating the soles of the feet <laughs> that's when I ripped the, the guy's yeah. tongue out and yeah. spat it into the air <laughs> and then drooled over my girlfriend's breast <laughs> through her plate glass window <laughs> I've not seen that film in a while <laughs> <laughs> yeah with Flash Gordon dun, 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 dun. I've got Gordon's alive <laughs> I knew you were going to say that <laughs> <laughs> it's a cheap shot uh, I know but that's I think people know that line from the soundtrack don't they it's not that they've watched the film so much it's that it's sampled in the uh, in the single um, as much as I bang on about 70s rock uh, a fair bit I've got to stress I'm no fan of Queen but this um, I love this soundtrack so much and it's so over the top it is like they found the perfect band to go with such an over the top visual movie um, oh, it's fantastic and inextricably linked up with nostalgia because I was about 8 years old when this came out um, but really to the extent I was so glad I saw it when it came out I've loved it for ages and about five years ago I think they showed a, there was an open air screening of it 
um, at Somerset House in London and uh, a bunch of us went to watch that and uh, I, I had w once I mean, it was a great movie in its own right but once that music was pounding out of the speakers uh, I had tears in my eyes it's so, uh, <laughs> so thrilling and the fact Brian Blessed was on at the start sort of introducing it as oh, well even better. and the thing is he was absolutely going along he loves all that Gordon's Alive stuff from the audience he, he had the whole audience in the palm of his beard it was, <laughs> it was absolutely amazing um yeah, the wedding uh, march by uh, Brian, Brian May, May. Strauss. <laughs> but um, no, I mean it seriously is. Even though I'm going, th these are all all the soundtracks we've listed tonight are things I genuinely love. But this is probably one of the few that crops upon the iPod quite a lot. If I'm just you know a bit drunk, probably. Uh, yeah, that's like my Merry on, Christmas, Mister Lawrence. Stuck on public transport <laughs> because the soundtrack is so, the the soundtrack album is so well put together. Everything sort of. Um, uh, segues into each other. There's a lot of sampling throughout it. It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I love it. favorite uh the running man by harold faltermeyer directed by paul michael glazer but you know everyone knows it as arnie's film really with yafet koto and uh oh you know future futuristic prison everyone's uh hemmed in who who you gonna call for a soundtrack harold faltermeyer i've written down that is the theme tune is pure 80s synth loveliness on a par with Jan Hammer's uh, Crockett's theme, which I would have included, but you know it's a TV show. Yeah, soundtrack. We can we can get it in there. <laughs> I think there was a the period about three or four years ago where my mates uh, were running a night um, out of the warehouse they lived at, and uh, just before they played, they were a band. Um, I'd be DJing before them, and like uh, my mate Alex, the drummer, one night he was like, "Oh yeah, play it, play it, play it, play it." To introduce them and just like play the theme from Ringing Man, and yeah, it was really good. Well, between me and Alex, it was really uh, good. <laughs> in fact, I may be misremembering, mis but in the very early days when we were talking about doing a podcast, and briefly we were talking about whether to have a theme music or just use different music from whatever films mm. we were covering, I think you may have suggested Running Man as yeah. one of the. Uh, I, 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 Almost certainly would have done. I would imagine it's perfect introduction music. Terry Gilliam, I've given poor him, old poor Terry. old Terry Gilliam. I've given him short shrift, but I, I did. I, well, no, I did stress. I'd like to like his movies more, but no. For a long time, Brazil was one of my favourite movies, and I'm going to select Michael Kamen's soundtrack from Brazil. Um, 
as with other stuff we've said already, it's not an it's not a usual choice of music for a sort of sci-fi and specifically a dystopian kind of future. Um, it, very grim visuals, uh, even though there's a cartoonish humour to them. The music is unashamedly romantic, and it's just way out there. And even though I'm sure most people listening to this have seen the film, uh, despite what the ending is, the music is beautiful at the end. Of yeah, nice no, counterpoint, isn't it? Yeah, really, and yeah. it's it's a real or a, a a key reason I chose this is most of the soundtrack is the song Brazil, this very old standard um, but throughout it uh, rendered in different versions and it's amazing how um, taking a basic melody but doing different arrangements of it can completely change the song, so it can be this kind of jaunty thing, the, the main one they use with the marimbas and the typewriters almost is a yes, percussion, yeah. which is great and it sort of builds and builds and builds while uh, Jonathan Price's character Sam Lowry is going through the office and it builds and builds and builds and then goes nowhere yeah. <laughs> and, uh, which is representative of yeah, the film <laughs> great, but he's, it's all that optimism of him in this horrible environment but he's, he's got such a romantic heart to him and it's all going away and the very end which you know I won't tell you what happens at the end but I'm sure you know but the end they have what should be a joyful version of it but it's very echoey and it's like mm. a distant dream it's like a salsa it's like a Mardi Gras kind of version of it a samba uh, that's more like the original, yeah. really. Uh, but even that, you're listening to it and thinking suddenly that melody, which is quite really jaunty and jolly earlier on, suddenly becomes very melancholy. And it's mm. about some, again, I've said this before, a distant dream that you can't quite reach for. And you can reach for it, but you can't hold on to it. And uh, it's beautiful. And, and um, doing a little research for this, uh, just yesterday I saw that they originally, Michael Kamen, is probably best known for his Prince of Thieves. I think he co-wrote the Brian Adams song, uh, Everything I Do, I Do It For You, you know. He recorded a, a, an unused version um, of Brazil for the Terry Gilliam movie with Kate Bush on vocals, which is kind of easy to find on YouTube. All right. Um, and I was listening to that, and you know, I've, I've got time for Kate Bush um, as, as an artist. Um, it just doesn't work. I can't imagine it in the film, even no. though this must have been a huge coup because she was actually, I think at the time, it was before she had her big comeback with Hounds of Love. You think the studios must have said, Kate Bush, you've got to use this version, and it wouldn't have worked in the film because no. she would have brought too much baggage. Cause, uh, well, there's no singing in the film versions, is there? No, it's kind of chanting. And, yeah. you know, and it, I don't think it would have worked. It would have brought too much baggage of her as an artist. Well, Sinatra did it, didn't he? Almost certainly. I mean... Uh, it, it was kind of a standard tune a big to number, yeah. reel out. Um, I mean, you're too young to remember, but in the 70s, the BBC used to have the black and white minstrel show on a Saturday night. Sometimes it it's good to be too young. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that, that was the sort of thing they'd sing. They'd come out with ruffled uh, ruffled sleeves and maracas doing Brazil. And, it, it, again, a totally different version of it. And, you know, the point I wanted to make here is a different arrangements of the same song can make all the difference. I learnt about that song through the film and then about eight eight or nine years ago I was in Brazil in uh, Salvador de Bahia um, around carnival time and we were just walking along the street, my girlfriend at the time and I, and all of a sudden this this brass band appeared out of nowhere playing Brazil, marching down the street and it, it was really momentous for me, <laughs> I was like, oh my god, I started getting visions of like 
this big samurai oh, right. <laughs> with a sword and like not some the black and white minstrel around. Scene. No, no, yeah, no. no. <laughs> it, but I was I was really swept up in it. I was like, wow, it's <laughs> extraordinary. Uh, I'll just add quickly there. I, that is probably my favourite Terry Gilliam uh, soundtrack too. But also Twelve Monkeys, I absolutely love, which is by Paul Buckmaster, I think, and. Uh, lot of accordions going yeah, on was there. that specifically written or was it re was it taken i don't know from other places there's that famous accordion kind yeah. of tango-y thing do, at the do, beginning do, yeah, do, do, do. yeah. I'm, I'm as far as i'm aware it's paul buckmaster composed all that um yeah it's sort of reminiscent of like the gotan project if you know that stuff like. I'm such a big fan of electronic music, especially anything post. Now uh, you tell me. 1990, um, which is you know this whole swathe of genre of music, electronic music, techno, house, whatever you want to break it down into, and it, so little gets used by these extraordinary ta talented um, performers. Uh, but luckily, someone Darren Aronofsky. And his debut pie about uh, a cooped up, uh, slightly um, yeah, insular, insular yeah. mass well, genius. He's clearly an antisocial character. Yeah, uh, but luckily Aronofsky thought, well, I've heard AFX Twin, I've heard Orteca, I want to use their music, along with Clint Mansell from Your Neck of the Woods, no, Pop Will Eat Itself. All right. Yeah, um, but yeah, he uses. Two absolutely cracking tunes from both of these uh, producers. Apex Twins, Bucephalus Bouncing Ball, which is really skittery, sort of not quite drum and bass, electronica, that's exactly emphasizes what um, the protagonist of the film is going through. This He's got numbers going, rushing through his head. The, the camera's moving quite quickly. It's always in front of his face. And you listen to that music, you're thinking, Hasidic Jews are coming in. <laughs> yeah. Asking numbers, me for the name, of, the name of God. <laughs> <laughs> and then also you have these moments of like dreamlike or the calm before the storm. You know, they're really, you know, when things go quiet and more ambient and stuff, that's usually when you have to be worried in these types of films. And then he gets Orteker to do that. And uh, Orteker is just like one of the two guys Rob Brown and Sean Booth who just make near perfect music for me um, and have been for the last 20 odd years nearly yeah no 20 it's, odd years it's I'm getting on now that film it's about 12 <laughs> years old or something. yeah but the, the contributions are just perfect for that whole film and there's other stuff there's Ronnie Size in there some Orbital and you know flavours of the month of that time which I'm not as keen on but yeah, the, mm. to use Apex Twin and Orteker is like. It's been a while since I've seen it, but it would be interesting to see if that soundtrack date stamps it a little bit. Uh, it does. Uh, not their tracks. Their mm -hmm. tracks actually sound contemporary. I've found the other stuff, the Clint Mansell stuff, the the early sounding drum and bass, and that was a little bit too. Mm. Meh. In fact, that whole film was a little bit meh on 
subsequent viewings I've done. Okay, because I remember seeing it and really enjoying it. It's one of those things I was excited when someone had no budget but had clearly got this vision and had done this really great job of it. And uh, I mean, something that you know you've reminded me by talking about the soundtrack. Uh, it would be easy to lazily try out. It's a Razorhead. It's again, it's about this guy in his little world. It's black and white. Black and but white. the the, um, the soundtrack really distances it. So next, probably the closest thing, although we've done so many films now, I'm losing track of it now. <laughs> the closest to an actual kind of musical. Um, I am going to choose... <gasps> Sound of Music. Sound of Music, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Alas, no. I'm going to choose Breaking Glass, which uh, actually you remind me there. Um, I know when Channel 4 did their rundown of Greatest Musicals, this was about 98 or something. It's... Hazel O'Connor, is it? Hazel O'Connor, yeah. yeah. It's um, yeah. I'm not sure how well known it is now. It's um, it's pretty much. Um, it, it often gets compared with the Julie Garland movie A Star Is Born. It's about someone who gets pulled into the music industry, with dreams, sees how that machine works, and gets spat out, disillusioned. Um, but it's done in 1980, so covered it's got a very oil. covered in. Covered in hellspray. Dressed like um, <laughs> dressed like uh, prototype Tron. A li liquid Sky of. reject. Yeah, well, you know, I've got a lot of time for uh, Liquid Sky. I do really love this film um, because of the age I was. When it came out, the images are very striking. I know it looks a little bit cheap and tawdry now. It's not got a great reputation. Um, I don't care. I love it. I love the music in it. Um, I suppose this almost goes back to Brazil. It's some of those, they're good as songs in their own right, but they've been given a new wave, slightly spiky kind of edge to them, the way that they're produced. I think it's Tony Bon Jovi, is it? The guy who produced a lot of the David Bowie stuff in the, mm. in the, in the 70s. Um, oh, and I had a big falling out with him just ahead of this. <laughs> so was probably found himself available. I don't care. I love this movie. I love the visuals in it. And yeah, um, and Hazel O'Connor's fantastic in it. Yeah, I've I've yet to watch this. I think I. Yeah, definitely. Um, you um, you you lent me a copy of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you've I've got, got so a, many things lined up. No, in seriously, Phil. Phil has so many uh, DVDs. They're in a spectrograph, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they are. You've yeah. arranged them by color of spine rather than <laughs> genre or anything. from something that you really really love to something that I absolutely love as well film wise, uh, director wise music wise, Delicatessen uh, Jeanne Encaro's absolutely amazing debut um, and the music's by Carlos De Lasalio De Lasio, I'm not familiar with him but again it's like so many things we've talked about it's that unison of how what you're seeing on screen relates to what you're hearing and this works perfectly it's got that um, naive sort of approach to the sounds there's something quite um, carnival like yeah they're quite off kilter aren't they yeah um, 
that, that is playful. You can imagine a comfortable version of it, but it's almost like someone's gone in and yeah, wrenched it a little bit. Yes, so. pulled the insides out and tried to stick it, stick it back that? together. And yeah, th- again, this is another film that I saw when I was pretty young. Probably, I, I, t- I was kind of fortunate in a lot of ways to watch stuff when I was very young, but never really grasped it. So I, I saw it through infant's eyes, you know, through a. Film mulch is a good thing, though, isn't it? <laughs> Film mulch. Yeah. Just having yeah. a little compost for you to. Uh, no, definitely. Yeah, because you you grow into these kind of films. I mean, I know Amelie really shot uh, Genet into the um, Alien Resurrection. Kind of. <laughs> or was it after? It was before, <sighs> no? I don't know. No, Resurrection was just before Amelie, I think. We. Oui. He did Delicatessen, City, City of, of Lost, Lost Children, Children yeah. and then they were like. Yeah, yeah, we need this guy. He's he's got a vision, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's got a vision that's not really fitting in with the Hollywood archetype. But this film also with uh, Mark Caro, who is often he's overlooked. I think he's he's done a film himself, Dante O One, which is not that great. But is it like a Y five O? No, it's a sci-fi thing with uh, the. The guy, the bad guy from uh, *Belly of an Architect*, not the bad guy, but Caspasian. Caspasian. Not Casabian. The. uh, (laughs) Yeah. So this wonderful film, which is full of playfulness, you know, almost so many silent film-like attributes, and there's a it's sepia infused, like most of Genet's films. but you've got the soundtrack which is playful intricate tender melancholic uh, lots of accordions you know it's got that Gallic feel which I absolutely love anyway because not just because my wife's French but I, 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 it's I'm, okay she's not listening I'm a kind of a Francophile in a way I, I think they do something that is utterly right over there in the in the creative stake so uh, but yeah the, there's like the scene where a girl's playing the cello and uh Dominic Pignon from um, Diva is playing the saw. He's a bit of a regular. He looks quite, kind of like David McCallum if his face went out of control. <laughs> if he was rubberized. Yeah. Yeah, and they're playing the saw, you know, like a la sort of uh, Laurel and Hardy. And, uh, it, it's just so beautiful. And I love it. <laughs> <laughs> We've never recorded for this long before with this many beers. <laughs> We've gone into it. It's like we've gone... Well, beyond Jupiter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. towards the end now what to choose what to choose do I get the Who's soundtrack for Tommy redone by Elton John and Tina Turner and Jack Nicholson and all sorts of people no I'm going to go for uh, Team America fuck yeah (laughs) yeah okay I'm going to admit I don't own the soundtrack to Team America I, I do like the movie the reason I've chosen this is I am a very big fan of um, Parker and Stone Trey Parker Matt Stone and South Park, um, which was a big deal when it came out, that series. Um, we seem to say this a lot on the show. 
I'm not trying to sound contrary. I did like the early ones, but actually I think about the time people started to think it was this quite wishy-washy liberal show, that's when I really got into it. And uh, I don't think it is a wishy-washy liberal show. I think it's one of the best TV shows there is. In 20 minutes, they can sum up both sides of an argument. It's re Well, forget that. That's lower down the scale. The fact is it's really, really funny. Um, I think they're using... Consistently. The Pretty much, yeah. yeah no, I mean, no, even, I mean, um, yeah, I, I no, agree, seriously. I mean, for years and years, it's it's consistent. It is, but much. I I really think people have forgotten it now, and it it doesn't go out on in in Britain. It used to go out very late on Channel Four, but now you have to have one of the satellite channels it's to watch Paramount, it. Uh, it? Yeah, it's yeah. Comedy Central. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic show. Um, very, very intelligent, very funny, which is the main thing. But one of the things that actually doesn't get overlooked. I mean, people who love it know about all this but their their sound um their soundtrack spoofs are so absolutely spot on musically they have all of those cliches but the lyrics as well are so great so um you know i could have picked this i could have picked um uh the south park movie itself which i think won an oscar was nominated for an oscar wasn't it for let's let's kill canada or whatever that song blame was called. canada blame canada i know you're a big fan of cannibal the musical and, yeah, um, yeah there's some other stuff yeah. and even the theme music to uh, one of their shows, which isn't very, very well known, that's my Bush, <laughs> which is about uh, it's a sitcom based on George Bush in the White House, which is uh, oh really yeah uh, well you're stopping over for tonight for various reasons so uh, we may we may uh, dip into that <laughs> dip into the bush dip into the bush yeah but together um, anoint it Team America I love and it's mainly the choice of song I'm going to use from this which is Montage which I think does crop up in South Park as well in an episode when they're in Aspen but um, a real example of how fantastically bang on the money and it's one of those things that you know the guys doing it aren't just taking the piss they're genuine movie fans they've watched enough of this stuff that they really know how to nail it absolutely fantastic show like things happening at once remind last entry which i nearly forgot and then i woke up this morning and went fuck what's wrong during your last entry <laughs> um akira geno yamashiragumi is the musical collective who provided the music uh for katsuhiro otomo's akira wow this this is the very definition of a percussive soundtrack uh we've talked about rumble fish uh, Zatoichi before you know I'm, I'm a fan of percussion electronic music and stuff but this is this nails it this is encapsulates all those things the music collective are uh, untrained musicians who recreate authentically as they possibly can fire electronic instruments synthesizing stuff folk music mainly Japanese folk music the Akira soundtrack is as groundbreaking sonically as it is visually. It really is something that never dates. It's, it's there with Philip Glass. It's very much in the same kind of vein. I absolutely love it. 
Listeners, did you think we'd get this far into the podcast on soundtracks before? Did we think we were going to get this far? <laughs> Without mentioning John Carpenter. Well, we kind of aren't, because I'm now going to cover The Thing, which is... Protruding. <laughs> the, thing that's protruding. the Thing, which is such a fantastic film. Um, we Well, let's talk a little bit about John Carpenter's music. He's, very, he's seen as this pioneer of electronics very minimal which um, I'm not sure you'll know more about this than me um, I mean, I'm a big fan of people like obviously Tangerine Dream who used used one note rhythms and really pioneered that the thing is listening to John Carpenter you feel the fact that he used one note rhythms for his bass lines mm. was more because that was all he could do but, yeah totally but there's no question it's bloody brilliant isn't it I mean his, his best soundtrack for me is probably uh, Assault on Precinct 13 you've got that really great melody at the uh, not melody bass line at the beginning which kind of goes into synth washes which I'm sure we're going to use at some point during this podcast however ironically the thing isn't by John Carpenter soundtrack wise it's by our old pal Ennio Morricone and yet it sounds so much like John Carpenter it's almost it's, it's on a par with um did Spielberg direct Poltergeist rather than Toby Hooper? You know, it really feels like someone gave him notes. But you know, um, we, we've established big fans of Morricone. I could imagine him lit watching um, Halloween, Assault on Precinct Thirteen. Uh, was was Escape from New York just before this? I think. I think Ooh. it was, but that's another kind of. You That'd know, be just just weren't it? On the cusp, yeah. Mm. Um, brilliant soundtrack I love this Morricone's soundtrack to this is great minimal percussive absolutely builds that atmosphere electronic and, it's fanta- and electronic that's, the key. that's, that's the, thing. the key when we reviewed Orca a few shows back quite a few shows back now um, I, I did kind of like that soundtrack but I remember saying you're, uh, Morricone's got a style which you really um, it's, it's so fixed to those spaghetti westerns you've seen that it's it's kind of difficult to um, separate them when you've got it with Richard. <laughs> that that soundtrack's all over Richard Harris, Charlotte Rampling, and a whale. This there's no hint that it's no hint that it's the same guy. And like I say, you could believe this is this is John Carpenter if you really knew what he was doing. Yeah, it's funny because I think um, Morricone did the soundtrack for uh, Bird with a Crystal Plumage for Argento, and Argento is on record or I'm saying how he approached him and he's, he gave him a load of music that he loved and liked and said oh this is the kind of thing I want and Morricone was very he poo pooed him he was like no no I do my music like I do this but then when what ah. came out what came out was very much what Argento wanted so I think there's he probably approached it in the same kind of spirit you know right I would imagine so mm-hmm. anyway because um, you have to be Death, yeah. To not realise that, like, there's Carpenter all over that soundtrack, but yeah. it's all Morricone, yeah. As well, you know. It, and when I said if, if if Carpenter knew what he was doing, I don't mean to belittle him because I think he has done great sound. I still think Halloween sounds too much like he was listening to tubular bells from Exorcist and was doing his own riff yeah, on yeah. it. But no, there's there's no. Um, we've gone on about Alex Cox and movie drum. I remember the second series of that, and I was so happy when it came back on TV. And the trailer for it on BBC Two was just that introduction to um, Assault on Precinct 13 with loads of clips from the movies that were kind of it was like very 1990 or 89 whenever it was 
um, I think it was Quantel was the video system they used on TV then when they just had squares going across the TV screen yes, <laughs> like you yes. get on the end of Top of the Pops so you'd have chunks of these films that they were going to be showing over the next several months and this repeated shot of Alex Cox going all this and more on movie drone <laughs> and just keep going over and over with dun 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 fantastic so uh, Ennio Morricone took us a long time to get round to the thing and Carpenter What's your favourite character and what's your favourite song? <laughs> um, definitely my favourite character is Bagheera. Uh, I'm going to be 40 this year, but when I grow up, I want to be Bagheera. It's <laughs> absolutely my role model in life. Mine's Carr. Really? <laughs> is that George Sanders as the tiger? Is that, is that uh, Carr or is that Shia Carr? No, Shia Carr's the snake. Car, yeah, no, Carr's the snake. Shia Khan's you want to be you want to be the creepy snake trust yes <laughs> so you don't get to win a t-shirt if you're guessing which film we're talking about we're going to wind up things tonight with Jungle Book well definitely my favourite Disney film probably the only Disney film I really love for me th- it's between this and um, Robin Hood but, which is similar but it's kind of a rip off of it isn't it they, they yeah, use kind of a lot of the same characters and Robin Hood uh, was something that I watched a lot more as a child yeah because I think that was probably on video before a lot earlier than Jungle Book maybe yeah because it's crap um, this <laughs> though uh, I've got to say actually I did, this didn't occur to me until we're recording this right now I that's the earliest film Jungle Book it's the earliest film I have a memory of going to watch at the pictures Lord knows how old I was. We won a competition in the the local paper to go and watch it, but I fell asleep. But, you know, uh, it's one of those things you're growing up in the, those... There's probably three or four really, you know, big songs which keep getting used on um, TV and, um, you know, Disney time and whatever. And then I kind of properly discovered it when I was about 20. You know, They reissued it, and I remember going to the pictures to see it a few times and thinking... You know, it's kind of like in those Woody Allen films when he's really depressed and ready to kill himself. Not that I was at the time, but just whatever your adult life is, you go and watch a film and get totally lost in it. Mm. You know, you're not thinking critically about it. You're just totally caught up in the atmosphere of it. And um, and this was it. You know, it's fantastic. Those songs are so great in it, uh, uh, and d- the whole atmosphere of it, the characters. I think the songs are. They are the narrative, basically, because I don't remember dialogue between the songs at all. I just remember... There's a bit really, really perfunctory. Well, yeah, you got those... The bare sure necessities, everything is just... <laughs> he's like the hippie guy who's like, yeah, it's cool, man, you know, we've got everything here for us, we can all well, share it's, it between. It's, it's, it's that old comedy thing, you've got the odd couple there. It's it's the actual odd couple, the Neil Simon thing. It's way up to Peep Show, the, um, mm. the really great British sitcom that's on now. You've got Mowgli... <laughs> You know, man child, man cub. Baloo, who's a complete loose ass uh, and doing whatever comes naturally the big to Lebowski. him. Is a <laughs> <laughs> he is, is the dude. And yet, I so love Bagheera the Panther, who realizes, wouldn't it be great if you could do that life 
but someone's got to actually make sure that you haven't got stuff falling on you. And that's my favourite bit in the whole film <laughs> is, um, although God knows what song it is. Is it Bare Necessities when Baloo oh, is... Oh, it is that old panicky, is that? No, it's when Baloo's going around doing whatever he feels. I think it is Bare Necessities when he's going around rubbing his back on trees. And yeah. Is all the stuff that... Um, Baloo is doing he's just you know carrying on with his life and isn't this fantastic but everything he does is about to kill Mowgli stones are about to collapse on him and whatever and it's Bagheera who has to come in and sort of rescue him from it yeah, and I just yeah. think that's such a beautiful it's comedic but it's almost it's so true as well it's kind well, of it's how obviously works, observed you know? like, yeah it's kind of it's probably yeah that's a lot God, what year was that? Uh, it's about 68-ish, because, I mean, one of the specific things is when you've got... It's okay. the scene people don't tend to remember, but when Mowgli's been separated and he hangs out with the, the vultures, and one of them is specifically John, John Lennon. Lennon. He's got the his feathers have all come down yes. in a mop top, and he's got this uh, cartoonish Gauss accent. The terrible yeah. thing with Disney is it's so preachy, and this seems quite relaxed it's got a real yeah yeah it's know, balanced yeah like, it's genuinely good fun <laughs> rather than feeling like you're getting a lecture but that's Rudyard Kipling <laughs> <laughs> yes. we won't give Disney their yeah. juice but you know despite what I just said about bare necessities with that the thing I love about this and sort of again almost brings tears to my eyes is the very end of it when Bagheera has been a tight ass throughout the entire movie but at the end when both he and Baloo are, are really upset because um, Mowgli's gone off with uh, he's, he's met a the water carrier the girl and you know he's going off to live his life and it's so wonderful that then Bagheera gets on his back legs puts his paw around <laughs> Baloo's uh, <laughs> shoulders and the two of them sort of uh, rock off into the jungle the, together yeah. like Morecambe and Wise yeah, absolutely yeah. beautiful ending I love it just like this <laughs> hey. now it's like this little britches all you gotta do is Look for the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your stress. I mean the bare necessities or Mother Nature's recipes that bring the bare necessities of life. So, Phil, we finished at last after many, many hours. And you know what? After all that music, there's only one way for us to go out. What's that, Jim? Singing! What is it? Don't go hand in hand If you admit that you can play the accordion No one will hire you in a rock and roll band My mom's came and banged on the door, boom, 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 boom. If you don't cut that music down, you're gonna have to cut it off.